Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The reality around this segment is this is a segment that has no information here. They don't have bank data and bank transaction data because they don't really have a bank account yet. Or if they, even if they do, there's not enough history in that account to be able to make an informed decision off of it. They don't have a bureau file. And so this is really the only viable solution in the market. And, you know, for, 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 for better or worse, like, you know, <laughs> anytime somebody puts out an RFP for immigrant credit solution, we're the only ones in the world that, that have a viable, uh, viable solution for it. Welcome back to How to Lend Money to Strangers, a podcast about lending strategies across the credit lifecycle and around the world, and indeed from one part of the world to another, as the case is today. Because I'm speaking to Misha Esipov, CEO and co-founder of Nova Credit, a fintech that's been a pioneer in cross-border credit reporting. Built and managed by immigrants for immigrants, Nova allows people to arrive in the US and thrive. I'm a three-time immigrant myself, and so although working for banks and credit bureaus has isolated me from the worst of this problem, it is still one I haven't escaped completely, and one that remains close to my heart. But even in self-serving terms, as you'll hear, the immigrant population is a pool for fantastic future growth. Now, I first heard Misha speak in Shanghai five, maybe six years ago, and his message stuck with me through to today. One of the reasons that I wanted to to bring you on is that your story is one of those great entrepreneurial stories where you faced a problem, conceived of a solution, turned it into a business to help all those that came behind you. So for those who are not familiar with what Nova are doing, can you give a quick overview of what, what the Nova business is and a little bit of how you and your partners came about the idea and, and formed that business? Yeah, ha- happy to talk through that. So so we started um, a, f- a few years ago, and and the way that the business came about was, you know, we were we were students in graduate school at Stanford, and we were speaking with classmates about their experience with financial services, and asking everyone, you know, do you have a credit card? Where'd you get that credit card? How'd you make that decision? Do you have a student loan? Uh, how'd, how'd you make that call? And we very quickly realized that half of the people we were speaking with happened to be foreign, and 100% of that half would tell us the same narrative of I can't get a credit card or I couldn't get a student loan or I have to like ask my classmate to co-sign my apartment lease or put me on their family plan for a cell phone. And it just became very clear that, you know, this population of people, incredibly high potential, was being treated by the U.S. system like second class citizens. And uh, when you start to, to peel away the onion, uh, what, you, what you realize is that, you know, when somebody first comes to the U.S., by definition, they do not exist. And so when that individual goes and applies for 
any financial product that requires credit history, a credit card, an auto loan, a student loan, an apartment lease, a cell phone plan, they get rejected by virtue of being credit invisible. And we have now, after many years, solved that problem. Uh, we're, we're, we're the only ones that, that do it this way is we've gone and approached this problem from a, from a systemic level. Like how can we systematically enable the millions of people that move to the U.S. every year to gain access to the entire U.S. financial system and to be treated uh, as if they were still in their home country, to be treated equally? We've gone around the world and we've plugged into the leading credit bureaus in every major market. So the same way that Experian, Equifax, TransUnion uh, exist here uh, in the U.S., they exist all around the world. They have competitors around the world. Uh, and so we've, we've gone in and set up partnerships in every major market. So, you know, in India, there are four credit bureaus. We work with two of the four. In Mexico, we have two out of two. In Canada, we have two out of two, uh, et cetera. And we've, we've built real-time technical integrations into those systems where we're able to extract data from, from those local credit bureaus and standardize that information into what we call uh, the credit passport. The thinking there is that the same way that your passport is how you travel the world, your, your credit passport is how you access financial services when you first move uh, to, a new, to a new market. It unlocks financial access for you all over the world. And that's our core product. That's our flagship business. The credit passport is now being used by um, partners like, uh, like American Express uh, and a variety of, of other major players uh, for anyone that uh, moves to the U.S. that has foreign history and doesn't yet have any or sufficient uh, U.S. credit history. I think what's, what's interesting, too, is that the way that credit bureaus and that idea of credit checking is so deep into the U.S. business mindset. I mean, you're also enabling things like people signing leases because, yeah, you can come in with some savings. You can say, I'll open a bank account and use a debit card for a while. But it's not until the first time you try to take a lease and somebody wants one year, two years paid up front because you're invisible. That's right. I mean, we, we kept hearing all these all these stories from you know classmates and, and, and immigrants. We were doing you know hundreds of user research interviews. Uh, about you know all of the duct tape solutions that people have had have had to find you know starting with a secured credit card or you know having to put down six or twelve months of security deposit on on an apartment just in order to get a place to live or you know having to pay you know ten to fifteen percent annualized rates on an auto loan where where your peer is paying you know sub two sub three percent. And so through, through solving this problem on a, on a systemic level, we've been able to use data to allow people to get a leg up and to really empower them to put their best foot forward and be able to actually unlock the product that they, that they need and deserve. One of the things that can get lost a little bit is the size of this market. So I've worked in a few international banks where the ideas come up. But in most of those meetings, it sort of ends up saying, well, it's not worth all the trouble. But actually, I was looking in preparation for this at the US numbers. And I think it's around about like one in seven people, sort of 50 million people now are foreign born in the US. Plus, you add in that they're supporting families as well. So that number's sort of anywhere between 10% and 20%. So this is not three people a year coming on the door needing a complicated solution. This is a really big part of the American market. And yeah, this is a similar problem we see in other markets. I think the US is probably the biggest immigrant market, but the UK, it's not all that far behind. In terms of that scale, have you seen resistance initially from American lenders on thinking this was small? Or how have you seen them embrace this as a market niche? Yeah. So I mean, today, one in seven Americans is an immigrant. 
Fast forward 20, 30 years, according to Pew Research, uh, that number will be one in five. So it's it's a population that, that's growing. And one of the reasons that it is so essential to the U.S. economy and to the U.S. labor force is that our domestic population is not replenishing. Right? Our birth rate in this country is no longer outpacing the demographic shift in, in the country as, as, you know, as the older generation exits the labor force. And what that means in terms of U.S. population growth is that today immigration drives over 50 percent of U.S. population growth. Uh, fast forward 20 years, and it's expected to drive over 80% of U.S. population growth. There are more people today that um, move to the U.S. than there are people who turn 18 and, and enter the financial system. And if you think about it moving forward, that means there's going to be four times more than, than those who enter the, the U.S. financial system. And so not having a dedicated strategy for how to attract and retain the recent immigrant segment is a formula to demographically lose market share over time. We, we can talk a little bit about the Canadian market uh, where these numbers are even, even higher. And this segment is, is, is key to, know, to being able to, to drive growth. You know, you land in the airport in, in Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal. And all you see is like, welcome to Canada. You know, we want to be your bank of choice. And I think, you know, Canada, you look at those banks, they have dedicated newcomer acquisition teams and credit teams that are, are dedicated to, to figuring out how to win this segment on a systematic basis, because it's really the only source of population growth in, in, in Canada today. And I think we're, we're seeing a similar trend here in the U.S. as, as more and more banks are coming onto our platform and and, and, and understanding and appreciating just how, you know, this credit data can allow them to now take somebody who has historically been absolutely invisible to them in the credit system and look at them in a data-driven way and actually prove that, oh, wow, these people have had real experience with credit and that uh, actually predicts their performance here in the U.S. And, and these are, these are high-quality, high very much underserved people who, you know, will become, and, and, uh, you know, really great customers. And then if you start to look internationally, I mean, there's so many other markets where this segment is is really core. I mean, you mentioned the UK, but that's not the only one. Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia, the UAE. So any any financial institution that exists in a market where immigrants and expats account for you know a major share of population growth, you can't ignore this segment. Yeah, and I think you know when I was working in banks, you would look at Credit Invisible and you'd say, in Credit Invisible, you got your youngsters. We haven't had a chance. So that's kind of one strategy, our new grads or our new market entrants. And then everybody else is a bit suspicious. What, why are they here at their age with no credit? But really what we're seeing with this is you've got this massive population, credit experienced, history that they can bring with them. They shouldn't be invisible. We're just kind of overlooking them. They've got it all. And you're giving a big spotlight. That's right. What I'd be interested mm -hmm. in, because it, it's, it's obviously conceptually quite a simple idea. So you make a relationship with the foreign bureaus and then you understand their scoring methods, their data, and you translate it and bring it over to the, to the US. But obviously in reality, there are so many regulatory and legal and data hoops to, to jump to, through to have got this right. What were some of the lessons you learned in trying to incorporate this international data and, and to bring it across borders? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's one of the trickiest pieces of, of being able to solve this problem. When you, when, you, when you take a step back, every country in the world has its own data privacy rules. It has its own consumer and credit reporting rules. So in the U.S., we've got the FCRA, Fair Credit Reporting Act. And then many of these rules you know, are extraterritorial in nature, such as GDPR, where like, 
you know, the Europeans are imposing data privacy rules on European citizens who are located not only in Europe, but located anywhere in the world. And so when you start to think about building a, a global cross-border business like, like ours, you have to be mindful of so many different rules and regulations all around the world. And I think one, one of the important uh, nuances to, to appreciate, and this is one of the big like aha moments in, in the earliest days of, of our founding, is that if you believe that consumers own their data uh, and that they have a right to their data, you know, broadly speaking, the direction of every global data privacy rule. It's all about consumer empowerment, consumer protection, making sure consumers uh, you know, have, have access to and, and control over their own information. Then you can establish a framework for so long as you're actually able to get that express and voluntary consent with a consumer. It doesn't matter whether that consumer is physically located in the UK uh, or you know, has moved to, to the US. Like That consumer has a right to their information. They have a right to use it however they see fit. And so that was a big breakthrough in our in our regulatory model from from you know the earliest of days. You know, we went out and talked to any credit bureau who would talk to us. We knew very little about the space. And over time, we quickly we quickly realized that you know there was a viable method for us to be able to access this information so long as we got that consent and, and you know authenticated the consumer. And then with respect to the you know US law and US regulations, our stance from from the very beginning was. If you want to use this data for underwriting, it's better for the industry for this data to be FCRA compliant. And so there's a lot of nuance that goes into what, what that means around how you set up your information security, your policies and procedures uh, as, as, as an organization. But being able to invest in that from the earliest of days is one of the reasons for why we've been able to work with these Fortune 100 companies that, that we now have the, the, the pleasure of working with. And I assume one of the other reasons is that You've gone beyond simply becoming a pipe for the credit report to go through. You've got a translation in the background. So you take the underlying data, the report, and the predicted outcome of the homegrown score, and you turn that into something that looks like, I assume, the FICO score, um, so that lenders in the US can just use it as they're familiar. They don't need to understand, oh, this is coming from Mexico. This is how I read a Mexican report. This is coming from Canada. This is how I read a Canadian report. It's all done for them. That's right. So that, that's all you know, foundational to the credit passport. So the UK report has slightly different data definitions. It's a Mexican report, an Indian report, than a US report. Part of the core IP of the business is to be able to look at those data standards all around the world and normalize them into our single global data definition and data dictionary, uh, which is the credit passport. And then we can build insights and analytics and scores and attributes on top of that. Uh, to make that information a lot easier to to digest uh, by, by our partners, Decide, some of them choose to, but they don't. They don't have to understand, you know, every nuance of how a gold loan in India is different than a you know than a secured loan in 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 Canada. For better or worse, we, you know, we are now global experts in, in that uh, in some of those nuances. But we 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 risk align and standardize all of our data definitions to be able to alleviate the need for our partners to to do that hard work. So it makes sense to do that translation. You can't just do core to score or super prime to super prime. But what I'd be really interested in if you're able to view the data is some of that is inherent in the country. So some of the risk of somebody coming from India is because they've been operating in India. Some of the risk of somebody in Hong Kong is because they've been living in Hong Kong. When you do the translation initially, a 10% outcome is a 10% outcome. But do you have insight into once they actually land in the market, how they're performing in the U.S.? One of the core competencies of the business is in addition to providing data to our partners, we also receive performance data back. 
And so we've now been in business for, for long enough where we can actually see the performance of the consumers that we help get approved. Uh, we also have seen you know tests that we've run where certain partners will approve anyone where we're able to successfully deliver a credit passport, whether that's a you know, a really great super prime uh, credit passport or one where, you know, the credit performance historically hasn't been as good. And we can see that you know, your foreign score is highly predictive of your U.S. performance. Generally, if you were a good borrower before, you will continue to be a good borrower. If you were a bad borrower before, you will continue to be a bad borrower. And, and I think like one one parallel to think about in, in the U.S. context, like if you move from you know New York to San Francisco, does your FICO score change? Um, in reality, like there is no variable around, you know, change in address that impacts your credit score and your credit quality. You know, credit score is ultimately a assessment of your character as a borrower to repay your obligations, uh, not an assessment of your um, actual ability to, to, to repay. And so we now have a sufficient data having been in business for, for long enough to conclusively prove that you know, foreign performance predicts U.S. performance the same way that if you were a good borrower in one state and you move to another, you'll continue to be a good borrower. Uh, obviously, people immigrating or going through a, a big life change. And so yeah, there's always going to be a little bit of shift, shift around. But that, that's really interesting to hear and sort of pleasing to hear that these scores are translating through, through something as big as uh, immigration. And I think uh, a really good bit of data for lenders there to, to, to run with. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of the other areas in the space, the other way people are looking at these sort of credit invisible consumers is alternative data. Have you done any work looking at other means of data beyond credit bureau? Yeah, and I'm not sure if you if you if you saw this one, Brendan. But we had a press release a few months ago with SoFi, uh, where we revealed a lot of the work we've been we've been doing over the last few years in uh, not only serving the credit access needs of recent immigrants, uh, but starting to think about uh, our role in the ecosystem of supporting anybody who's discouraged by by the credit system, anybody who you know is a credit invisible or a thin file, irrespective of whether they're to, they're new to the country and. You know, we, we've made a major investment to expand uh, not only to serve the newcomer segment at, through international uh, credit bureau data, but also to serve thin files in general. So we're not aggregating bank data head to head up against, you know, the, the major aggregators. You know, we're, we're doing something very similar to what we've done in, in uh, the credit bureau world. You know, the same way that we've, we've now plugged into uh, every major credit bureau in the world, uh, we are now working with a number of the major bank aggregators. 
and making it easier for our partners to understand that information and, and make credit decisions on top of that information. In the case of SoFi, what we've, what we've done is enabled them to verify income using someone's bank data. Um, so that's been a huge area of investment for us in expanding our product suite and expanding uh, our ability to have a greater and greater impact on the U.S. Uh, financial system. Nova does look a lot like a purpose-driven organization by immigrants for immigrants, but I guess expanding that to kind of buy credit invisibles for credit invisibles. The data provider angle is that, you know, we're helping our credit bureau partners, some of the bank aggregators uh, distribute faster. And the value prop to the consumer is we help you get the product that you want. So effectively across those three sides, you know, our enterprise partners, our suppliers and our consumers, we're creating a win-win-win in the ecosystem. Beyond that, you know, we do have our own direct-to-consumer website. So if you just go to novacredit.com, in many ways, it's it's similar to, to Credit Karma but it's really focused on the specific needs of this segment, where depending on where you're from and your data quality, the right path for you to accelerate your uh, your journey of building U.S. credit could be very different. So we've built a repository of content and a whole uh, host of, um, of tools that allow consumers to really put their best foot forward based on the information that they have, and in doing so, accelerate their journey to being treated more, more equally in this system. I don't know if you want to talk about that now, but how do you grow? Do you bring on more countries whose credit reports you support or do you look to go to new markets? Is there anything that you've got your eye on? Yeah. One of the hardest parts of running this business is there's, there's just so much opportunity across so many, so many adjacencies. And it's such, a, it's such a fragmented space that being hyper-focused on which specific markets, which specific verticals uh, are, are we serving and how is, is, is you know, forever the strategic debate that we're having. I mean, as we think about our core growth growth factors, we really think about it around you know the three sides of our marketplace, right? So on the the data side, it's all about accessing more data. So being able to tap into more credit bureaus around the world. So our our total data coverage right now can serve um, about sixty five to seventy percent of the annual inflows of immigrants, but we're not we're certainly not at a hundred percent, and that that long tail of countries will take a long time before we can get to to Malta or some of the smaller markets that don't, you know, don't send, don't send a lot of people to the U.S. And, that, and that's frankly is one of the reasons why we're, we're expanding beyond just international credit bureau data um, is to be able to have a greater impact by serving some of the other challenges that can be solved by non-credit bureau data. On the enterprise side of the equation, the the priorities are around uh, expanding into new verticals. So, you know, we've done we've done quite well in, in cards. That's really where, where we've had the greatest market penetration with some of the largest uh, card issuers in the world now uh, adopting the capability. But we're now more actively uh, expanding into other verticals. And then the other major vector there is going international, as, as, as you suggested. So, you know, the U.S. is the recipient of about 20 percent of global immigration. But, you know, there are major migrant corridors all around the world. And every time somebody moves from one market to another, that's an opportunity for us to create value and, and help. And then on the on the consumer side, it's all about continuing to increase the awareness of you know this problem that uh, anybody will face when they first come to the U.S., as well as you now the, you know, the, the availability of a, of a viable solution. You know, if, if you're a, a fintech or, you know, an, a risk officer and you're interested in learning more about the, the product and capabilities and serving recent immigrants as well as new to credit and thin file in general, we've got a growing suite of solutions that we're continuing to build and, and invest in. So feel free to send, send me an email. I'm just Misha, M-I-S-H-A at NovaCredit.com. And if you're somebody who's, who's like looking for a new chapter in their, in their professional career, 
Like we've got a lot of roles up. We've got almost 30 roles posted right now. Uh, always, always looking to grow, always looking for to work with people that are passionate about uh, solving problems in, in, in financial inclusion. Yeah, I saw that on your LinkedIn. So really, really good momentum at the moment. Misha, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me on the show. It's been great. And thank you for listening. This has been How to Lend Money to Strangers, the podcast about lending strategies around the world and across the credit lifecycle. If you're enjoying the content, please hit subscribe, and I'll see you again next Thursday when I take a closer look at the evolution of digital banking in Ghana. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.